0: This message was recorded on the campus of Wachita Hills College. For more information, visit our website, www.ohc.org. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the Sabbath hours that are soon to be upon us. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to attend us this evening. We recognize that my feet are made of clay feeble frail human instrument and I pray that you would use me not for my glory but for yours and that some semblance of ideas and thoughts would be conveyed tonight in the weakness of humanity combined with divine unction and Holy Spirit power to touch someone's heart tonight we pray for divine guidance, for enlightenment. Remove the distractions. May we hear your voice tonight through your word. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, the words of Solomon in his reflection of a very dark time in his life. Before we get to this passage, I want to disclose a little bit about myself. I have a natural tendency and the propensity to be an obsessive individual. The Lord's been working on that over the years. But I tend to become immersed in things. And there was a period in my life in which I was immersed and obsessed with bicycles. Bicycling, to be exact. And these weren't ordinary bicycles. These were expensive bicycles. The types of bicycles that they ride in the Tour de France. Thin tires. 120 PSI. Remember one time I was blowing it up so much when I wasn't using the gauge and it popped and it blew my eardrums. I just my ears were ringing for days. And I could tell you story after story because I'm not the most coordinated individual. I won't go into detail, but I hit a pedestrian. Oh. 30 miles an hour going down a hill. This poor lady, probably 50 at the time. And I lost control and my tires, I'm serious, went through between her legs from the back and this lady didn't know what hit her. I didn't know what hit her. I mean, it was just, my face went into her back and I had a concussion. I, oh, it was, it was awful, but it was her fault. I'm t- I'm t- no, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. She was in the middle of the road. She was in the middle of the road. I don't know what this lady was thinking, but anyways, I... But I didn't give it up. I didn't give it up because it was my obsession. A friend of mine, we were biking together. He ran over a dog. I mean, I could tell you stories. What was my point? Oh, yes, yes. It was my obsession. It was the the dream of my life. And I went through this cycle where I would buy and sell bicycles on eBay, believe it or not. You you would get a bicycle box and then you would sell the bicycle and then I would tell my wife every single time, honey, I promise you, if I get this bike, it's the bike of all bikes. I'll never have to get another bicycle again and I would be happy with it for a little bit until I would see another bicycle And then I would tell her the same story. And it went through a series, I think, of seven to eight bicycles. And this gets expensive after a while. Because the shipping is in excess of $150. And you always lose money on eBay. And so I'm buying, selling bicycles. And and the bicycle of bicycles was a carbon fiber bicycle. You know what I'm talking about? Featherweight. You could lift it with your pinky. You know? And one day... I finally, well, actually, I had several of them. But I got, I got the specialized Roubaix, which was the bicycle that they would do in Italy. It had top-level components, featherweight, carbon fiber. Ah, it was beautiful. The problem was every time I'd ride it, I'd, I'd be worried that there'd be a scratch on it. It was my dream bike. And when I got it, I had this preconceived idea that if I got the bicycle of my dreams, and I got it, finally, it was not no cheapo huffy from Walmart. <laughs> this was elite and i and i finally got it and i thought that i would reach the pinnacle of this experience happiness of like this aura of i've arrived finally in my quest of this obsession of having this experience of happiness And it lasted for a few moments, but after a while, I was just collecting dust in the garage. And you fill in the blank. You may laugh at me because it's a bicycle. But for some of you, it may be, oh, if I can just get that phone. Come on now, academy students. Right? If I can just get that iPad, if I could just get that MacBook Pro with the M1 chip, I could just get that car, that house, that marriage, come on now, Mm-mm-mm, right? That man of my dreams, six foot three. Barrel-chested and spiritual to top it off. Quote scripture like Randy Skeet. And looks like a supermodel. Come on, now you're laughing because it's the truth. If I could just get that person in my life, then I'll be happy. If I could just get that income, I will have arrived. If I could just get that house and that dream job. I will have reached the pinnacle of my existence and I will be finally happy. And so here it is, Solomon. The quintessential chaser of the American dream. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1. I sat in my heart, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this was also vanity, and I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guarding, while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of my life. And he goes on, I made my great works. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruits in all of them. And he goes on. You could just read it. I gathered myself silver and gold. I had servants and all types of things. He had reached a certain pinnacle. Now, I had a friend of mine that told me, David, for everything That the Lord gives you, He always takes something. If you're smart, you might be lacking in other areas. If you're athletic, I found that the athletic people in my school were always asking me notes for my homework. If you're beautiful, Sometimes they're arrogant and you don't want to be around them. But every now and then, I would meet somebody that would just make me sick. Handsome. Got 35 on their ACT. Doctor's son. Athletic. And to top it off, a nice personality. Just like, man. And that was Solomon. He was Bill Gates, Brad Pitt. I don't know, that's from my generation. Einstein. And to top it off, it was spiritual, at least for a time. This guy went to OHA. Come on now. He graduated from OHC. He grew up on the spirit of prophecy, health message, all those types of things. And yet there was a part of him that wanted the world, just a little part in the beginning, but then it grew, and and the the linchpin, the turning point in Solomon's experience, the Bible says there were all types of these beautiful women that were around, and he thought in order to build a peaceful empire that he would build alliances through marriage, and so began this slippery slope, and I've seen it over and over again. And this is a tangent here, but it's an important one. Young people, be very careful who you engage or become engaged with or become infatuated with or get into a relationship with because the values of that individual have their way of Becoming yours. Never go into a relationship, and, and women do this. Sorry, ladies. Oh, I'm, I can fix this. Mm-mm. It's a little rough around the edges. I can fix him. Mm-mm. He's probably going to stay the same. That's what you need to assume. Don't align yourself with someone that is going to degrade and be a spiritual liability in your life. And if there's any question about the individual in your mind, it's a cause for pause. And that began the slippery slope. And there was other things. And I've seen it. Back in my generation, back when I was a student here in 1994, 95, believe it or not. There were individuals here. We were all at the same place, at the same time. But there were motivations and values that they were holding on to. And you compound that over 27 years. And you can't fake it for that long. Because right now, everyone knows where everyone else stands. You just have to go on their Instagram profile, and it's public. And so here he is, Solomon. Basically, a thousand wives. A new wife he could see every day, For two and a half years, not see the same one. I mean, this is extreme. The Bible says there was more silver than stones in Jerusalem. He was a genius. Thousands of proverbs rolling off his tongue. An intellectual. Good looking. Went to the best schools of his day. Had the best legacy. Power. Political power, that's the one I forgot. He was also president. And so you add all these elements, and you think that he would have reached the pinnacle of his experience. And what's the thing that everyone is looking for? What's the thing that everyone is grasping for? It's happiness. That's the thing that we really want. And so he comes to the end of his reflection, and this is an existential reflection an experiential reflection. And so he comes to the end, and if you skip down to verse 10, he says, whatever mine eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. And verse 11, here's, here's, the, here's the, the conclusion of this part of the reflection. Then I looked on all the works that my hand had done, and all the labor and toil in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. I think I told this story in philosophy of Adventist education class. You'll hear it again. When I was a sophomore in college, I was a part of a touring choir. I used to call it the tourist choir. So we'd go singing all over the country, some international. And one day we were in New York City singing. And so we decided that we would go to see the, the icon. That every immigrant back in the day when they were coming on boat, fleeing persecution perhaps from from European, you know, this sacral environment of religious intolerance. And as these individuals would come into Ellis Island, they would see Ellis Island and they would see the Statue of Liberty. And so we wanted to see it. So we went there and got on the ferry and went to Ellis Island and decided that we would pay our good hard U.S. dollars, which, by the way, if you haven't noticed, this is depreciating right now. But that doesn't matter. So it was a lot cheaper then, and and we decided that we would climb the Statue of Liberty. And you don't climb it from the outside. Obviously, you you climb steps on the inside. And the Statue of Liberty had this this uh, this base around it. It's on, a, it's on a pedestal. And what you do is you line up outside the Statue of Liberty. And that day, like many other days, I don't know if you can go up there right now because of all these COVID restrictions. And this was before 9-11. And, and so we were all around the base of this Statue of Liberty. And we were waiting for hours. Because you got to line up. And finally, we got inside. And And the way it works is that they have these steps that that basically kind of zigzag inside of the Statue of Liberty. And it was, I'm I'm not kidding you here today, it was two and a half hours. That's a long time of waiting. Sometimes 15 minutes on one step. Your legs are cramping. It's hot. It's stuffy. And, and you're going up. And the thing was, as you got higher and higher in the Statue of Liberty, they had this spiral staircase in which I was literally on my hands and knees, just waiting there on every step as you inched your way up, and it, and it got darker as you got to the top. And finally, we reached the platform. And I thought, in my imagination. That I would step out on the platform, and it would be like—you know—I'm not espousing watching drama or anything, but back in the day, you know, sound of music. Do you remember, like the Alps, like whoa, you know you know, and this, and this experience, and that's what, that's the mental picture that I had that made it all worthwhile, because I'm like, you're waiting for two and a half hours in anticipation of reaching the pinnacle, and that day, you couldn't go up to the torch, you could only go up to the crown, and so I thought in my mind that, look, if I could just get to that platform, all of this agony, and this, and this just being in a claustrophobic environment would finally be worth it, and I would reach the top, and then it would be like, ah. Uh, Worth it. And I got to the platform. And there were these like, thin, and I, look, I love this country, I love the Statue of Liberty, so please don't misunderstand me. I know I'm Asian, but I was born here. I love America. I'm just talking about the view. I stepped out on that platform it was like these plexiglass slits were all scratched up <laughs> of a smog filled New York City. And I remember like this Korean sister behind me, I mean I know I'm Korean but she, she's really from Korea. She came from Korea. And she was like, This is it. This is it. Ah, you know, ah, you know. And there were so many people behind us. Literally, it was like 30 seconds before you had to go down. And it took like 10 minutes to descend. I felt like telling every person, because of course you're descending a different side, I felt like telling every person, go back down. It's, it's not worth it. And, and the choir director, she got all philosophical on us. And she said, you know, this is kind of like life. You work all your life to get to a certain point and it doesn't measure up. And then it's all downhill from there. I never forgot that. I'm actually glad I went up there because I can share illustrations like this. Look, if you're in Ellis Island, don't go to the top. Take my word for it for it. Unless you want to experience the same thing. Friends, Solomon, metaphorically, is coming down the other side of the Statue of Liberty. And he's saying, I've been to the top. I want to tell you, there's nothing there. And yet all of us, in our naivety, are like, no, I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. Now, let me read you a few quotations here as we as we continue our reflection, if I can ever get to it in my, my plethora of notes here. Solomon basically says, look, when you get to the top, it's vanity. It's hebel. It's like a vapor. It's really not worth it. And Jack Higgins, the renowned author of The Eagle Has Landed, has said the one thing he knows now at the high point of his career that he had wished he had known as a small boy is this, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Now, I know that I'm telling young people that have energy and that think that perhaps I'm an old fogey because I'm in my 40s and I don't know anything, but I'm telling you guys there really is nothing there. There is. isn't. Deion Sanders tells the story how he had just won the Super Bowl. Deion Sanders, for those of you who don't know, he's a famous football player could play offense, defense, multiple Super Bowls, athletic, Hall of Famer. And he talks about how he just won the Super Bowl, and he felt emptier than before. He got on the phone, he buys a Lamborghini, and he's absolutely miserable. Listen to this from his book. I had just had the best season of my career. Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting in the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I was so unhappy. We were winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women." Buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. The Bible describes it in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as chasing after the wind, and that's exactly what it was like. I tried to buy myself. Something to make me happy and I was even emptier than before because I could see that nothing could possibly satisfy the hunger deep down inside of me. All I could do was stay busy, occupy my time, doing whatever I could do to keep working so the feelings of emptiness wouldn't come to haunt me. The pain was horrible. This is from a millionaire. I thought I'd reached a point in life where everything would be smooth, but it's not. It just gets more jagged and pitted and filled with turns that take you to the dark recesses of your mind. It never seems to get easy. Sylvester Stallone. I don't like my voice. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I move. I don't like the way I act. I mean, period. So you know, I don't like myself. Elizabeth Taylor. Famous actress from back in the day. Boris Becker wins Wimbledon, which is arguably the greatest Grand Slam championship. The British one. He wins Wimbledon, and he admits, I almost killed myself. Committed suicide after Wimbledon. Lee Iacocca, CEO of Chrysler, says, Here I am in the twilight years of my life, still wondering what it's all about. And I can tell you this, fame And fortune, it's for the birds. Young people, believe it or not, I was where you were at once. And there was this thing in all of our minds as young people in which we recognized the value of what we had here, but at the same time, we thought that there was something in the world that could really make us happy. And that was the motivation that drove Solomon to the lowest point of his life. And he came up emptier than before. Steps to Christ, page 28. The things of this world cannot satisfy your longing the Spirit of God is pleading with you to seek for those things alone that can give peace and rest, the grace of Christ, the joy of holiness. And here is the irony. You don't get happiness by making happiness your goal. That's the irony of happiness. (laughs) <laughs> you, don't, you don't get happiness by ma- making happiness your ultimate dream. I mean, that's the way the American dream is framed. Chase happiness. Make that your goal. Make that your end. The irony is. Happiness is the natural result. The byproduct of living for something greater than yourself. That's the natural byproduct. Jesus Christ. When you live for Jesus Christ, happiness is the result. Never make happiness the end. Happiness is what comes to an individual that is living for something greater than our own selfish. Ambitions. So I have news for you. That dream man, I don't care how nice, how spiritual, how good looking he is. He could be a saint. And I pray that you marry someone like that. That person is not going to fulfill you. You're like, oh. I'm telling the truth. That person doesn't complete you. Now, that person may supplement your experience. That person can't complete you. And if you're looking for an individual that's a human to complete you, you're looking in the wrong place. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill. We were made for God. Do you know that all of us were made to be addicted? We were made to be addicted to God. And when we try to have replacements for that, that's when the dysfunction begins. And so, young people, don't waste your life when Solomon has already told you the end of the story. Solomon ends his reflection in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now, normally... I don't, I don't cite the New Living Translation. I know you King James are out King Jamers out there. Don't crucify me. But <laughs> for the sake of impact here, I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. This is out of character, but but I love his modern take on this. And I'll wrap this up with this with this with this with this quote from the New Living Translation. It just it's just very vivid. Very vivid. So here's his conclusion. And he's talking to young people. Here it is. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Remember him before your legs start to tremble. Remember him before your teeth stop grinding. Remember him. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper, remember him before you near the grave. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm gonna serve God when I retire, I'm gonna have all the fun, all the pleasure. And I'm going to give him my retirement years. I'm going to give God the leftover. I'm going to give him the last twilight years of my life. But young people, the wisest man that ever lived, that achieved it all, that had it all, and was absolutely depressed, despondent, and miserable because of his debauchery, is telling us if he had to do it again, he would give God his youth do I want to challenge you tonight. Look, the staff, we don't have to be here. Trust me. <laughs> if you think we're here because we have nowhere else to go, I have news for you. Don't believe that. Why we're here is because we're here because of a cause greater than ourselves. Because we believe in the philosophy of Adventist education. And that the way you change the world is educate the next generation of leaders. That's why I'm here. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's why I'm up at 4 a.m. and work sometimes to 10 p.m. Not because I'm on the clock. But, but this is that's the vision that inspires me. Because I know how this institution was instrumental in changing my life. I was on the way to perdition until I came here. And I want to tell you, too many people from my generation have been half-hearted and let and lived in the gray areas. Let me just tell you the truth. Existed in the gray areas, not getting too much in the black but just enough in the gray. And over a 27-year span, I've seen how that gray has destroyed their lives. And I'm here to tell you today, let's stop playing games. Let's be all in. Let's give God your best. The best time in your life is right now. Don't give him the leftovers and don't buy into the lie that the world has something to offer in terms of your happiness. And if there's an emptiness in your in your heart, no boyfriend or girlfriend or job or car or electronic device is going to give you fulfillment. And so tonight, I want to make an appeal. And don't do this because we're at OHC and OHA. This is not a general appeal. Do this because you mean it. And if you want to say, Lord, I'm tired of the gray. I'm tired of being a half-hearted, half-baked Christian that's still holding on to parts of the world. And Lord, tonight, I'm willing to be made willing. I want to I lay it on the table. I want to make a decision to let God help me. And if that's your desire tonight, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to invite you to come forward. If you tonight want to say, "Lord, I want to give God the best, not the leftovers, not the things that that that's the residual of my life," but tonight I want to say, "Lord, I want to make you first. I want to make you best. I want to lay it all on the table this evening. I'm tired." of holding back. Amen. Let's kneel together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive me. For loving the gray. For not giving all of me. To letting the world creep in. And Father, I am Solomon. We are Solomon. Lord, we think that there's something in the world that has something to offer in terms of happiness and fulfillment and Lord, we pray that you would help us to realize that there is nothing there. Help us to believe it, help us to understand it, help us to internalize it, help us to recognize it, help us by your grace to forsake the world. And we pray today that you would help us to be willing to be made willing by your grace, help us tonight to lay it all on the altar to surrender help us to give you our best not the leftovers but our best help us to learn from people like solomon that are coming down the other side and saying there is nothing there help us to believe that you are the desire of the ages that happiness never comes from seeking it happiness is the byproduct and the result of seeking you. Lord, we surrender. Take our hearts because we cannot give it. Make us pure, save us from ourselves, our weak, unchrist like selves. May you work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.